Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man whose risk level is very high, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> also true. Also true. It's always true. Um, how are you doing? You all right? Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. As I as I mentioned on Twitter, I came to the recent realisation that I, I now look forward to Spurs games, which I haven't done for quite a while. So I'm I'm pretty good, man. How about you? Well, you've you've had a bit of a break as well to um it helps. To, to, yeah, it forces you to look forward to it even more because there's nothing to do. We're all locked down, or, or many of us are locked down still. It's like yep. all we've got to look forward to is our weekly Spurs action. Bardi, how about you? How are you doing? Yeah, I realise I I miss Jose Mourinho more than I thought I ever Oof. would. It's just I don't know. We've gone. I wonder what he's doing. We've gone like five six days without him. All we've had is a really bad Instagram post, and I just. Just hope he's all right. I hope he's getting on with things and he's enjoying his life and he's keeping Bale and everybody else nice and sharp. Have you paid much attention to the international break? I mean, I, I caught I caught the two England matches um, so far. Um, either of you paid much attention? Um, I watched an incredible set of highlights from the Ukraine versus Germany game. I don't <laughs> know if you guys have taken time to watch it, but the Ukraine goalkeeper... Act like it gets the spirit of Lev Yashin and Gigi Buffon makes some insane saves and then throws the ball in his own net and it's just like heartbreaking for the lad. Ooh. You know, he's um he's really put put in a great performance because one of the best teams in the world. He's 26 years old. He's um his name is Haroi Bushkachan. Never heard of him and he was pulling off some incredible saves and then just the life of a goalkeeper man. He then he just chucks it in his own net and no <laughs> one's going to remember that anymore. No one's going to remember that. He was Lev Yashin for, for an afternoon. What was the final score? 
Two one. Uh, so oh, Germany. No. So actually, yeah. a huge difference as well. Well, he made it two nil. Ukraine got a got a late consolation. Right. Card. Okay. But, uh, it, it was nice every now and then. I'm I'm a huge aficionado for the World Cup and stuff, so I don't mind international football. But then England comes on your TV and it it gets all a bit turgid and a bit boring and kind of puts me off again. Well, we've had we've had three centre backs in action over the international break. We've had we've had Eric Dyer. We've had Toby Alderweireld. And we've had Matt Doherty, who ended up playing centre-back for the Republic of Ireland for over an hour, 65 minutes, something like that. And not just centre-back, left-sided centre-back. And he did pretty well, I thought. He looked looked fairly comfortable and composed there, was using the ball nicely. Nathan, did you catch much of that? Uh, No, I I might go back on on your... advice <laughs> i might go back and, and just watch a couple of clips of it um but i mean he's he's played in that role before again i always thought that like th- there were questions over him defensively but i think that he's he's fine in, you know in his own box and i'm not surprised that he can sort of do an okay bit of a job at center back i don't see him playing any minutes there mm. for us unless there's some sort of complete catastrophe but um but, you know he is a defender. He can defend. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe once once he hits thirty and uh, some, some of his speed goes, maybe he'll do a Kyle Walker and become right side of a back three capable. It's possible. So speaking him of Kyle and ben Walker, Davies. yeah, <laughs> Matt, Matt Doherty one side of the back three, Ben Davis the other, and I mean obviously Eric Dyer in the middle. <laughs> I, I mean, thought. Um... I thought Eric Dyer, I gave him a little bit of stick on Twitter. I thought he was slow and cumbersome and he looked like old Eric Dyer. But I thought he, he turned the game around and he played, he was a lot more comfortable in the in the second half. I thought Lukaku really showed him up to be yeah. quite an average defender. But credit where it's due that he, he pulled his pulled his socks up and he, he got on with it and he played a lot better. And I think he looked far more comfortable towards the end than Toby Alderweireld. And I, I've got major little alarm bells ringing all over the place regarding Alderweireld. Just, just he's starting to now hunch over as he as he plays football, and I always get a funny feeling when a centre back starts hunching over that their time is done because Ledley King did it, Jan Vertonghen started doing it, and now he started hunching. I'm I'm concerned that this could be um, this could be the end of the road for Toby this season. Mm. <laughs> oh, I hope not. The hunch, the, the hunch. hunch. I, I Have see you seen the hunch on Scrinia? My goodness, what a huncher! <laughs> I couldn't stop talking about it during my video on him. I was obsessed with it. I, I just I like my defenders to be elegant and look like they're in control of the situation. And I just think any man that you start looking like your dad trying to trying to read instructions <laughs> on a little notebook yes. when you yes. when you're hunched over. It's when you need stronger glasses, you need bigger font, and I'm just a bit worried about Toby. And I just thought everything to do with Mount's winner was kind of just showed that he's just doesn't got it. He hasn't got it in his legs anymore. He's just a bit slow. Then it's a bit slow. Then, well, let's carry on talking about centre backs for a moment because I, I, unlike Bardi, I thought England, I thought England were fine. I thought it was a, a, a solid performance against Belgium. Who, I mean, it has to be repeated. They are the number one ranked team in in the world. The, the FIFA rankings are questionable nonsense. of course absolute but... nonsense they're not the number one right they're only that if you say that they're that and they're not they came third at the last world cup that's pretty impressive they can be celebrated for that but the fifa rankings <laughs> don't deserve our attention chris come on okay okay fine we we, we beat a good team how's that yeah we beat a good team yes. yeah. uh however i think it's quite clear to me now that, that center back 
is a problem area for England at this point. I think central midfield definitely was a major problem. We may have stumbled upon some sort of solution in terms of Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, maybe Jordan Henderson's obviously stepped really stepped up in the last two years, 18 months in particular. Uh, and hopefully Jude Bellingham, you know, going forward, Jude Bellingham mm. will be uh, will be the one who 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 solves that problem entirely. Um, but centre back is a worry. I don't really like any of the England centre backs. How are you feeling about things, Nathan, for England's back three or back four, depending on what they choose? Uh, I mean, yeah, Eric Dyer is okay. Harry Maguire is okay. Kyle Walker is sort of on par with them, having played most of his career at right back, which I guess probably says more about um, the other options than it does about his brilliance. Um, but it's international football. You don't have to be. You don't have to have the best centre backs in the world. So I think. I think we're okay. I think we're okay. I'm trying to think about who we might have coming through. Well, um, Tang- Tanganga. Tanganga is one. Yeah. Uh, and he's getting very limited game times. That's a concern. Tamori is another. Uh, he, he was due to be loaned out by Chelsea. Didn't happen. Will he play this season? Who knows? Uh, ben Godfrey is is a third Godfrey. who I do like and think has has a degree of potential. Um, and and he's just Godfrey's moved to Everton, hasn't he? He, he moved at the end of the transfer window, so he should play some this season. Um, ben but, White. Anybody for Ben White? I like White. I like White. I think he's good. Um, obviously, this is his first season in the yeah. Premier League, so there are some questions to answer. And he's made a couple of errors so far, but yeah, may- maybe by this time next year, White will be an established player and perhaps will be in a consideration. But like you say, Dyer and Maguire are just okay. And Walker had a really good game against Belgium, I thought, was probably the best of the three centre backs. But he's not, you couldn't play him in a back four, I don't think, Kyle Walker. I think he's the outside centre-back in a back three. I wouldn't want to see him at this point playing a back four. I think so he's played I think a couple a of games City in the back four. Yeah. But that's, you know... A City, then. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have the ball all the time. It's a bit different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think England have remarkable potential throughout the team, but centre-back is a problem area. And, and Spurs could really help them out by giving Jaffet and Ganga some games. And if if Toby Alderweireld is on the the hunching decline, then maybe the time has come for the, the baton to be handed over to Jaffet. Uh, we, we saw Harry Kane get 20 minutes at the end, Bardi. He, he's got muscle fatigue, as described by Southgate. Did you did you catch his performance? For me, he didn't seem to be moving very well. No, he didn't seem very very sprightly. He had a good opportunity of a header. He was very clever and winning some free kicks as Belgium was starting to push. He didn't really didn't really do much, but he kind of wasn't needed to do much. England were England were pretty comfortable by that stage. I I, I got to say I was very unimpressed by Belgium. I know they were missing Mertens and Hazard and De Bruyne got taken off really early, but there wasn't really much to them. As as Nathan says, that FIFA ranking is I don't think it's right. They didn't look great, but England did what they needed to do. A penalty, which wasn't a penalty it was a very latin dive by henderson <laughs> and uh, mount with a big old deflected goal so congratulations to england you're the best team in the world now doesn't it, it doesn't that's how it works. Don't the yeah exactly that's how it works um i realize we haven't really spoken about the transfer window since since it closed so it's still open in some in some respects but uh let's do a little roundup so in terms of the ins, we have signed Huibier, we've signed Joe Hart, we've signed Matt Doherty, we've signed Sergio Regulon, we've signed Gareth Bale on loan and Carlos Vinicius on loan. How are we feeling about the ins? Do you think we've ticked off most of the squad needs there, Bardi? I mean, 
everybody what everybody loves to rank a transfer window and it's way too early to do that I don't think you can do that until the end of the season you see how Ooh. everything works but had at the start of the year we wanted to see some improvement at right back we got that we wanted to see in a, a step up at left back perhaps we didn't quite get how we wanted it with Sessignon and another working that way but we've got Ben Davies and we've got Reggion we needed a striker we've needed a striker for a while we got a striker and then to out of nowhere we, we added Gareth Bale to that list which is always going to get the fans excited so it's it's not bad if we're going to rank it we can rank it later but I think you need to take into account that out as well before we before we start celebrating I still think there's a lot of work that needs to be done for it to be declared a success at this moment how about you Nathan uh, do you feel like most of the problem areas have been ticked off at this point or are you, do you have concerns hmm. most most not all um I remember last window we spent a hell of a lot of money and got into some really special players. And I thought, well, we've ticked off most areas, but not all. <laughs> now I'm feeling very similar. But I think I think more confident this time. I think it's really only centre-back that is an issue. Now, obviously, if you have an issue with centre-back, that can be catastrophic. But I think we're OK. I think we've got enough to get through things. I'm looking at this list. It's in chronological order. And I'm remembering signing Hoybier for Kyle Walker-Peters and three million. And I remember picking up Joe Hart on a free and thinking, oh god we're in for one of those windows like we're really but no we went out and we spent the money on Doherty we spent the money on Regulon we are putting money towards Vinicius and, in, and also you know in a way bail so um yeah it's 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 what 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 it feels like we're seeing here is a manager who will accept the second choice a manager who will accept what his agent friend suggests um and a manager who will will um you know accept a profile rather than a, a player um there's some prioritization here of players who can play now immediately um and there's sort of a short-termism within that given the age profile of some of these players um but i think that's okay i think that we are a club who can spend for now a little bit I don't know the exact details of what finance is, but I just feel like we've grown to the stage. Obviously, I prefer young, promising players who are gonna, who've got all this talent and are gonna explode into these world beaters, or at least have the potential to, that maybe take a couple of years to settle in. Um, but I think we can be at peace with this approach. And yeah, we've seen, we've, we've, <laughs> we've gone from this horrifically depleted squad with talent in it but massive, massive holes to now we've got depth and coverage nearly throughout the entire squad. Yeah, I, I like what Nathan said there about buying for now. We we also have bought Endombele, Bergwijn, who are early 20s, Lo Celso's young. Sure. And I, I think mixing it with prospects and then mixing it with established players is good. If uh, Vinicius works out he's 25 years old we get him for his kind of peak years and we get um Reggion for his early peak years and hopefully something can be done there so yeah I like Nathan I think it's about time we we did do a transfer or two for for the right here right now I think we need to be back in the Champions League and I think that's what this transfer window smells of it smells of getting back in the top four as soon as possible I think for me this window is hugely elevated by the signings of Regalon and Bale yeah, uh, they they were the ones that just made me go. Yeah, that's a window. That's a that's a proper transfer window. Regalon was a real surprise to me. I wasn't expecting us to go out and sign an elite left back. I, I really I didn't know who was available. Certainly not for that kind of fee. Uh, and that that was a very very exciting move for me. 
I mean, partly because I'd written off the, the idea of having an attacking left back. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, I'm really, I was really excited that the the signing of Regulon hinted that we might sort of play, play a more attacking, aggressive style, and and I think we will with him in the side. Um, and Bale, I mean, Bale is a, a huge question mark. We don't know what he is. We don't know what he's going to be. But the upside is enormous. If it does work out, then. <laughs> It's an insanely good transfer. And if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't feel like we've wasted a huge amount of money. It's it's worth the punt. Have you seen the video today on social media of him? His goals in training. My goodness. Oh. Really? Oh, talk us through it. Oh, oh, oh! I no, I can't. I can't do it justice. There's, there's, there's. I don't know. This because there were these reports I don't know last week or whatever that is like everyone at the club is so impressed with how well Vale is training and you're like don't don't tell me that I don't want to hear that like <laughs> I don't want to make myself imagine these things and believe these things when they could well just be the agent talking crap as he is known to do and then you watch these videos and it's just it takes you back you know it mm. takes you back very That's- whippy there's a lot of whipping into the top so corner. much whip <laughs> there's oh. a lot of side netting and there's a lot of Joe Hart looking rather perplexing <laughs> well yeah it does help him that he's up against Joe Hart in these clips to be fair there's one he, where he gives um, he gives Joe Hart the eyes and he, he goes he dives completely the wrong way but um, yeah it looked, it looked great people ask me uh, details about various players they often ask me about goalkeepers and I always say I don't really know anything about oh, I, you know I, my my knowledge in goalkeepers my understanding my technical understanding of goalkeepers my my sort of um my knowledge of, of goalkeepers around the world is all very weak and you shouldn't ask me uh but having said that uh Gazaniga is much better than Joe Hart in goal and what are we doing man what are we doing yeah, yeah. I, agree. I agree yeah with that. and it's not even close I don't think either at this point <laughs> I, what I do think Jose wants in his substitute goalkeeper is he does want a presence and I don't think Gazaniga gives that and everything we've seen from Hart when when he does play he he's loud at least and there is that organisation organization to him whereas there isn't to Gazaniga. Gazaniga for me is someone who just kind of reacts to something normally quite slow so at least uh, Joe Hart even though he's pretty bad he's kind of proactive without the ball in terms of his voice and his presence and everything else so I can see why Jose likes him but yeah yeah, he Gazaniga. If I had to, if I had a child and I had to drop it out of the window, I would want Gazaniga stood there, not Joe Hart. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say um, with Bale, it's all very exciting until the the following day's headlines: Gareth Bale limps out of Tottenham training. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mustn't think that way. I must, <laughs> I must be excited. I mean, this is an incredibly exciting signing. He's um, he's due to, to to see some minutes maybe against West Ham. <sighs> Now, can either of you remember him ever? Has he ever had a good game, or maybe scored any decent goals against against West Ham? <laughs> no, I, I think I think you're thinking of Paul Stelteri, mate. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I'm getting confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's move on to the outs. Michelle Vaughan released Troy Parrott on loan to Millwall for the season. Kyle Walker Peters to Southampton for something like twelve million. Jan Vertonghen to Benfica, basically released at the end of his contract. Juan Foyt to Villarreal on loan. Ryan Sessegnon to Hoffenheim on loan. Plus some youngsters heading out like Roll, Sterling, Ayoma, Tracy. What do we think? Did we did we do enough? Did we get rid hmm. of enough players? Mourinho has mentioned he's got a very large squad for a start. Um I mean again it's it's a bit of a sense of sort of short term in that Troy Parrot probably ready to play some Premier League minutes. 
This is this is a loan that could have looked very very stupid if we didn't buy or get Vinicius in the other way. Um, but that's fine, you know. That's that's fine. Vinicius in for a year, possibly more. Parrot out for a year, and we sort of rotate around that. That's fine. Foyt, I thought, you know, also should be getting minutes for us. Um, Sessegnon should be getting minutes for us. Um, so Foyt is a loan to buy, whereas Sessegnon's is just a loan, which is sort of okay, you know. <laughs> Uh, I've already expressed my, my, my frustration with the way that we've handled one for you at this club. I think I just have to let that go. Um, we still have Rose on the books. Yes, as it stands. Uh, and I guess we are still sticking with Aurea. He's going to be our backup and, and play quite a few games as, as backup to Doherty. Uh, you know, again, as I said in the last episode, if he has a good run of games to January, which isn't far away already, um, then I would, offer him around get his agent looking at looking at other clubs um but you know as much as i think that there are young players here who should be getting minutes for us i'd much rather they definitely get them elsewhere than maybe get them here you know what i mean yeah sure i mean i i agree with everything you said there nathan um and you mentioned earlier the age profile of of the incoming players and some sort of some short-termism. Well, I would say as well, it's worth noting that we now have six players of 30 or over at the club, if we include Rose. So Larice Hart, Adverell, Bale, Sissoko and Rose. And then another four, four, five, five players who are 28. Gazaniga, Dorothy, Lamella, Son and Lucas. And three more who are 27, Aurier, Davis and Kane. So the age profile of, of the first team squad is significantly older than it was a year ago two years ago three years ago four years ago this is this is something different for Spurs and and as Bardi mentioned earlier there's definitely some work to do and I think in January there might be some difficult decisions in terms of do we do we take a take a a fee for some of these players that we might not get a, a decent fee for six months a year down the line the likes of Soko who's obviously a a very popular member of the squad a, a good squad player who can step in and play a number of roles, but is now 31. Um, Lucas, who we know is a, a real Mourinho favourite. He's been a mainstay throughout Mourinho's tenure so far, but he's 28. We could probably get, what, 25 million back for him, something like that. That's not That kind of fee isn't going to be viable in six months to a year's time. Same for Aurier. So I, I definitely think there's some work to do, as Bardi mentioned. I think January, which I mean, the January window opens in God ten weeks, something like that. Um, maybe even less than that. Jesus. So it, it's interesting that, uh, that there's definitely work to do, but it's more the outs than the ins. What do you think, Bardi? Yeah, I think one of those problems will be solved some way or another because Danny Rose's contract is up at the end of the season. Um, I think we'll probably this will probably be, end up being the last season for Alderweireld as well. Um, I would like us to have sold, even though he was very useful against Man United. I would like us to have sold Eric Lamella and Lucas Moura just to kind of streamline our forward players, just to get rid of some of those options. But Spurs, up until this season, we really haven't bought very well. So I've always been a bit concerned about us selling and not replacing 
replacing them. But I, th- I think there'll be definitely there'll be some more outs coming um, this this January. I think there's too many teams at the moment pushing for top six. I, I hate this whole top six, top top eight the way that hmm. people bracket hmm. these clubs together. But I think there'll be a, enough movement within those top teams and enough people panicking come January that, that we'll see some we'll see some movement with transfers in and out. Bardi doesn't like Lamella because his name is Italian for the apple and Eric the apple sounds like a children's TV <laughs> character. Very good. If you take it, if you're using Duolingo. I might have been. Italian. Because <laughs> in Duolingo, they always do lamella and <laughs> la- il pane. And they always go with bread and apple. My wife was doing it. She says, why is everything in Italian either bread or an apple? <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I think overall the window is undoubtedly a good one. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to ask you to rank it because I think that is stupid. Uh, but what I will say is this. To make it a 10 out of 10 window, <laughs> what what would it have needed for for each of you? Um, I think we would have needed to have get, got rid of um, Aurier. I think our, our, our sales would have needed to have been a bit smarter. Rose, Aurier, Sissoko, Lamella, and then those guys were placed. Keep the guys that we've bought, but those guys were placed with maybe players on between the 19-21 bracket where we could uh, bring them through. I think that would have made a 10 out of 10 window. Anything you'd add, Nathan? Uh, a centre-back. Uh, yeah, a young right-back with Aurier going the other way. Um, Regulon being... Not with a buyback clause, that kind of stuff. Uh, Vinicius being um, a permanent straight up on the front end, that kind of stuff. But um, but it's all it's 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 you know it's all with sort of a close approximation of a really really good window, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think I think a young right back replacing Aurier would be really sensible. And I think that probably will happen within the next two windows. I think a centre back, maybe two centre backs, would have been a good idea because personally, I wouldn't be keeping both Dyer and Sanchez for more than another two windows. You're not wrong. Uh, and I think Bardi has a point that this could be out of our old last year. I think he signed a two-year contract, but I think this could easily be his last year. And I would add as well, uh, another defensive midfielder would have been useful uh, because I still think we're, that's an area we're fragile in. That's It's the one area where if Huey Beer goes down for any length of time, we've got problems. Um, I didn't mention Skip, who's yeah. gone out to Norwich. I think next year... Skip could be a viable Huey Bier backup and rotation. Obviously, he's not here this year, so it's it's not it's not viable. So, if he is out for any length of time, then we're back to Sissoko or Winks playing that role. Yeah, big issue. You're you're right. You're right. And I, I've I've been maintaining my my depth chart, and it you know it shows up defensive midfielders as an issue. And yeah, that's obvious. You don't need my chart to tell you that. That if Huey Bier is out for any length of time, we may be in trouble. But we also we might be able to use Javier to arrive in a better place so that if he's missing, the thought of Winks or Sissoko stepping in doesn't immediately make everything around the club completely fall apart. Mm. Uh, nonetheless, it's it's still it's still a, an area that is lacking for depth. I think that's fair to say. I think I would like to point out, I know centre-back was something that we would love to have seen, but I think the general panic around teams like Man United, Arsenal, on net, regarding their centre-backs. I think we're not too bad placed. We're between Sanchez, Alderweireld, Dyer, even though he's a giant, massive sofa, and <laughs> Tanganga. I think I think we've got something there where we're above average. Whereas if I was Man United, I'd be far more concerned. Um, if I was City, I'd be a little bit more concerned. 
Liverpool, uh, Van Dijk looks to be having one of those seasons and alongside him, I'm not sure whether, um, whether Matip and Gomez have got it in them as well, if he's, if he's having a wobble season. So I, even though it's kind of not great at centre-back, I'm more confident than than anyone else. And also your friend Arteta, he's, I wouldn't want his centre-backs. I wouldn't swap his collection of centre-backs for ours. So I'm not too down about it. Had we got a top-class one, brilliant. But I'm okay with what we have. One thing we didn't really touch on is goalkeeper. And we, we, we slagged off Joe Hart, which is always fun. But uh, <laughs> Tony Starks from the X-Sub Discord server, he says... When do we go in to get a successor to Hugo? We might be able to bring in someone like Lafont next year to be a cup keeper with the understanding that they would step in when Larice goes or retires. Nathan, this is something you've spoken about before, the forward planning in terms of replacing Larice in the long term. Do you think that this would have been the appropriate time to do something along those lines? Uh yes. Yes. If you're not happy with Gazaniga, if you feel like you need a English goalkeeper to play back up, don't get Joe Hart get a you know a, a mid 20s english goalkeeper who is not already at a, a premier league club or whatever to to come in and play back up and and see how that works out i guess is, is essentially how i think that we should have handled that i don't think because we've been talking about this for i don't know three windows now do we need to yeah. look at replacement to hugo oh well we can sort of begin to prepare in that direction uh and he had sort of a rough period what 18 months ago now and has gone back to being you know the best shot stopper god maybe in world football in the (laughs) premier league i would say but right up there right up the top still so the thing with that is like i thought toby adavera was an incredible defender last year and and then towards the end of the season and now he's sort of hunching over <laughs> looking a bit leggy so brilliant players and Vatongan the year before him did the exact same thing w- looked incredible came back after a summer and the years had caught up with him so I think that you can go suddenly from Larice being literally one of the very very best goalkeepers in the world to once it goes it goes um, so as much as he doesn't look like he's about to, to drop off at any time uh, he could so you have to be at the moment our solution is to turn to Joe Hart, which is it's a little worrying. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's something that we need to be looking, preparing for. Buddy, yes. any intel on Lafont, who is a Fiorentina oh, he's, player? Oh, he's too good for us already. <laughs> We're yeah, not getting him to play back up. I'm not sure why he doesn't play at Fiorentina, why they keep loaning him out. But I think with goalkeepers, it's, it's a strange one. Like Nathan says, sometimes they can go on for like forever and even have um, kind of like quite good, almost like second careers in their 30s. But then sometimes they could do a Casillas and just drop off. I mean, if you look around, Pepe Reina still knocking around. Obviously, Buffon, Neuer, these are examples of goalkeepers in their mid to late 30s who are doing all right. Um, I think the way we play, Lloris will do us fine for another season or two. Obviously, I'd like us to go throw some big money down and go out and buy the Strakowska, the Lazio goalkeeper, I think is brilliant and really put our name down and buy a top class goalkeeper. But I, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. One final thing on transfers before we move on. We're being linked with Joe Roden, the um, Welsh centre-back, who I know very little about. Do either of you have any opinions worth airing on him at this point? No. Too early. (laughs) I tried to watch him versus England and I just... I couldn't pay much attention to that game as a whole, let alone an individual player. He played so, 45 minutes and there was very little yeah. that he had to do in that time. So it was, it was hard to get a handle on um, what he was about. Yeah. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. 
Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Okay, well, just to follow up on our conversation from the last podcast on the the overseas fan experience, there's a few things to pick up on. Firstly, thank you so much to everyone who wrote in. We had... Uh, an unprecedented number of emails and messages. And I, I had to send a generic response in the end because, <laughs> I mean, I never like to do that. I like to send personalized responses to everyone who emails in. Normally you'd get an email back from me when you when you email us. Uh, but I couldn't do that because there were so many and they were so lengthy. Um, so I had to compromise. Um, so thank you for all the amazing stories. It was fantastic to hear of different perspectives and different reasons for supporting Spurs and the different sacrifices people have made in, in supporting our club. And I think we'll do another focus on this at some point and, and bring some of those stories to you. A couple of things to mention, though, that my friend Aaron, who lives in the States, um, let me know about. I mean, firstly, he says that there are lots of fans who live in the States or elsewhere abroad who do still go to games regularly. So he goes once a month, for example, which is an absolutely insane concept to me, but it is a thing and it must cost people thousands, absolutely thousands of pounds a year to support Spurs in that way. He said it's only a six hour flight. And I'm like, mate, I'm, I, I find like a four hour round trip takes out of me. So you're doing well. You're doing really well. Um, he plans to go to 75% of games when we're allowed back in the stadium from New York, which is quite remarkable. Uh, he also made the point that not everyone in America would class themselves as an American Spurs fan because it's such a culturally diverse place. So I, I, I thought that was an interesting point and something I hadn't considered. So just wanted to sort of put that feeling out there as well. Uh, we had a question from Remix951, which I think was from the X-Subs Discord server. He says, Nathan mentioned that international fans should make the effort to absorb the existing local culture around the club. How does someone find out what that entails in a time where international travel is tough or impossible? Are there any documentaries or some other source of info that goes into what the local culture is all about? 
Yeah, I I think you should. Um, yeah, obviously, there's some great books you can go and get started with. I think the Glory Game by Hunter Davies is great. Um, there's also the podcast on on that very book, which features uh, my my host and best friend Wendy and Jack Pitbrook. <laughs> John McKenzie did that on Football Today, the FT podcast, where they go in detail and they talk about the book. I think check out anything written by Martin Cloak, and then probably one of my favourite Spurs books is um, um, In Search of Alan. Gilzine, who was um, a wonderful player in the 70s who just disappeared after he retired he just went away and nobody knew where he was and this guy wrote a book about tracking him down and bringing him back into the fold and he's now part of the setup at Spurs and it's really good and those those are but those are places to start to find out a little bit about the history we go on and on about the history of Tottenham but good place to start to to find out and see what being Spurs and where some of the songs and everything else all originate from how about you Nathan uh I mean uh... <laughs> I have some advice that is probably absolutely useless to everybody who listens to this podcast. If you want to know more about the culture of Tottenham, you should listen to The Fighting Cock because I don't think there's a better piece of material possible available that 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 that, that captures the spirit of being uh, a Tottenham fan from in and around London, you know what I mean? And I would say to add to that, the Fighting Cock made a, a film called Memory Lane. If you Google the Fighting Cock Memory Lane, uh, you'll find the film that Flav made, uh, which yeah goes into a lot of the history as well and is just really watchable. It's a really nicely made film. So I'd definitely push you towards that if that's something you've not seen before. Cool. John Wheatley says, Can you explain to me why Eric Dyer, as someone who has played both central midfield and centre-back, can't be the player to fulfil our defensive midfield role? This is obviously a position we struggled with the last season or two, and I've often wondered why we haven't shaped him for that role. So definitely, I mean, Dyer played there solidly for a season, has now made the decision that he wants his future to lie at centre-back having tried to return in centre midfield and, and really struggled. But what is it, do you think, that stops him from being an elite midfielder? Do you have a, do you have a, a grip on that? Uh, okay, so uh, comfort turning on the ball, ability to receive on the half turn, use of weak foot, ability to receive with insides the opposition's uh, defensive pressure, um, awareness of teammates that are in the direction he's not facing, um dribbling ability and general ball carrying um simply played experience in that world um non straight line agility and 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 turn of pace um i mean he can still do okay in that role you know i feel like i think we went through the opposite of this years and years ago with Dyer, where he was being played at center back and he was like no i want to play in central midfield and it affected his play and he just gets himself set one way in his mind in order to be good it's kind of like the grass is greener thing it's like well at the moment i'm being forced to play central midfield but if i could play my ideal role of center back i'll be great and then that works <laughs> out for a while and he's playing the other role for a while and then he's thinking ah i'm having a bad run of games but i think if i was being played in central midfield <laughs> things could really work out for me so he just gets like set in his way about what he thinks is best for him um there was there was a, there was definitely a period of time where he was playing poorly at centre-back and the discourse among Spurs fans was oh, he's not really a centre-back he needs to be playing midfield and then it turns to the opposite again so um yeah I guess he's probably for me I would prefer him to finish developing as a centre-back than finish developing as a central midfielder in terms of why can't we use him in central midfielders because now our needs are greater at the back than they are to to compete with Hoybier. um I wouldn't be against us playing him there in a pinch. 
Mm. if we've got the centre-backs behind him. I think Hoybier now is kind of exposing all the reasons why Dyer is sure. no longer a central midfielder. Um, just kind I, of speed I, of action is really the main thing. That's the one. I mean, the thing is, he, he was really good. Don't get me wrong. When Dyer was playing central midfield for that year or 18 months, whatever it was, he was really doing well there. He he was looking like he was going to become the, the solution to England and Spurs' defensive midfield problems for many, many years. I, I definitely feel like his body shape's changed a lot since then. He's yes. a lot less nimble. The injuries have also caught up on him. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't uh, change direction at all quickly anymore. And that is a real problem in central midfield. I'm not saying Joibier is the most live either. He's not. He's Joibier is quite a stodgy mover himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he scans a lot better than Eric Dyer. And by that, I mean, he checks his shoulders. He's, he's literally looking over and his shoulders and, and making himself know what's around him. And, and that is a skill to be learnt. And it's one that Dyer, I don't think, has. As Nathan points out, Dyer's pretty good when he's facing the play. When he's, yeah. when he was, it was always his strength. He'd drop into the back back four at the time, uh, make it into a back three, pick up the ball and carry it forward and then play a pass forward. And that worked really well for him because he was facing play. It's receiving the ball, facing his own goal, turning on it. You know, you watch Ndombele play and, hmm. and watch how he does that. And he's constantly aware of the players around him because he's checked his shoulder or he's actually physically got a hand on them. He's able to then manipulate his body in a way which allows him to turn and play out. Dyer just can't do that anymore. I mean, I don't know if we ever really could, to be honest. I, I just don't think he ever had... He never really felt the pressure on him that much in central midfield because he was quite well protected. Um, it hasn't worked out. I mean, I'm of the opinion that Dyer is just good as a as a footballer generally, and yeah. if it if it weren't for his intangible attributes, his organisation ability, his his mentality, for want of a better phrase, his maturity, his um, competitiveness, I don't think he'd be playing for Spurs anymore. I don't think he's at the level where he, his footballing ability would carry him to be a Spurs starter. But he has all those attributes and Mourinho clearly likes them, values them very highly. And he seems like a really, really good guy off the pitch as well, which I'm sure is, it means he fits in well in the dressing room, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's why he's still around. Um, Bardi, anything to add? No, I think I think you guys have covered it. The one thing that I remember from Dyer in, in his first, maybe it was his first season when Pochettino used to play him at right back. Um, we played Newcastle at home and they beat us 1-0. And straight from kickoff, they just lobbed it over his head. And he, yeah. he didn't yeah. see it. He, he just, he never sees the ball if it's not, maybe he needs glasses, but if it's not within his kind of sphere of influence, he just seems to forget about the ball and forget to move. And it was that kind of lack of um, reaction and understanding that kind of got me concerned about him. I think in centre midfield, like you said, he got by a lot of time because we had world-class Dembele and we had an incredible Wanyama for that season. And also he was dropped into the back three when we switched to that 3-4-3. He was playing in between peak Vertonghen and peak Alderweireld and, you know, we'd look pretty good between those two. And then <laughs> with Wanyama and Dembele in front, that's it, quite a, some, some proper protection. He's As you said, he's a fine footballer who I'm very happy to have around the club I really like his attitude I love the way he marched into the crowd even though I disagree with it but I love that way going to protect his brother and stuff like that so there's a lot about Eric Dyer I like but he's just not very good for the level that we need to be aiming at but for now as I said he I'd rather have him than Maguire at this moment so you know we need to improve on him but I'm okay with him okay uh Steve from the ex-subs says it's possible you've answered this before, but I'd love to hear your journeys towards how you analyse tactics and the game, the experiences you had playing or watching, things you read, content you consumed, 
that you feel shaped your approach? I think I'm going to struggle to answer this, to be honest. But uh, Bardi, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, you, unlike Nathan and I, actually have played some football. Hmm. <laughs> I used to be a goalkeeper. I got to like county level goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. It's a pretty good standard. Yeah. Well, because my dad just like whacking the ball at me. So I got, I was <laughs> up to a, up to a certain age. I wasn't scared of getting hit in the face by a football, which, which got me through quite a few trials because <laughs> he, he, he's very brave. So, you know, most, most 11 year olds are jumping out the way of the ball. I was quite happy to get in the way of it. But, um, um, I, th- I think once again, it's, it's my dad who's had the biggest influence on me and how I like to see football. Um, I'm not really, I'm nowhere near as tactical or analytical as Nathan, nowhere near that, but I know what I like to see. And unfortunately the football I like is kind of retired now. I like, I like a number 10 to kind of pick up the ball and wander around and not have to go and track back. I, I'm, I will write upon the death of, will write about the, the death of the traditional um, Chacuatista and the Fantasista, those kind of guys. So I grew up loving Baggio and Totti, not so much Del Piero. So I want to see, um, I like to see someone in charge of the orchestra, which is why in modern football, I do kind of like Iniesta and Pierre those kind of guys who can put their foot on and pass it around but those those have been my real biggest influences this kind of question i think was more for for you two to answer nathan anything uh, you'd like to say uh, you kind of asked me this on my first ever episode of The Inch, and I sort of nervously bumbled my way around without saying that, like, I got into football pretty late. Um, I sort of started having a sort of, um, I don't know, a distant, passive interest in Spurs through my dad in sort of, like, 2007, 2008, um, and then was just, like, a very casual watch. I've always had massive issues with my attention, still to this day, so I still to this day struggle to watch 90 minutes of football. It's just it's just too lot anything for that kind of time. I start to just fiddle and do other things. Um, so I, yeah, uh, football at school was the thing enjoyed by the, like, the bullies, you know? And it made it a distant thing for me, but I, I started to enjoy it through my dad, my dad's uh, adoration for Tottenham. Uh, and then later on, sort of, I guess, maybe around 2010... I uh I'd followed I was following England uh at international tournaments quite a bit. I'd get into it around the time of the Euros, around the time of the World Cup. Um and I remember reading a zonal marking article and finding and like it just opening this door to this entire other world for me and sort of being fascinated that there were these elements going on that at beforehand just looked like a bunch of blokes running around kicking a ball aimlessly kind of thing i'm exaggerating but you you get what i mean um so that was sort of really interesting and that really shaped my sort of after that i started to watch games and my attention was held because i was looking for these things and i started to read more of these articles find other similar ones watch the game more in that way um and also watch monday night football sort of a couple of years later as well uh you know i found i thought i thought gary neville was like an absolute savant i thought he was this incredible uh genius but the thing with that is that like okay michael cox would write an article about spurs once a month once every couple of months and there would be a monday night football game reviewed or being covered live on monday night football you know again maybe once a month but i would watch a spurs game and go or how do we lose that or how do we win that and not have any good answers because the commentators on the match would talk a bunch of crap 
and the post-match analysis on Sky would be a bunch of crap. And I would be left feeling empty and frustrated. And I turned to Twitter and I would occasionally get some insight from Windy. And that was lovely. I would occasionally, you know, elsewhere, a couple of other things. But I thought there was this, this gap, this hole where after every game, I wanted to know why we won, why we lost, were things going to get better, were things going to get worse, was this player any good? Um, and and while there was there was there were some answers out there, there was the teas of answers. There wasn't enough, so I decided I would take it upon myself to sort of work it out. Um, and then yeah, I started getting more involved in forums, and I found quickly that I was sort of finding my place with providing some answers, and it just grew from there. So I've got a very, very strange, uh, pretty unique relationship with how I have consumed football throughout my life. Mine is um, much very different to yours, Nathan. Yes. <laughs> I, I think for me, I've just been football mad for 30 years. And so you, if, if you're obsessed with football, you just soak it up. You just mm. soak up everything you can. Um, and I'm also just naturally a, a, a bit of a nerd, a bit inquisitive. I kind of want to look under the bonnet a bit. I'm not, I'm by no means like that in, um, you know, for example, I said look under the bonnet there, but I'm completely impractical when it comes to cars or DIY or anything around the house. But when it comes to like films or music or football, I do like to know a little bit more about than just you know pressing play on a movie and watching it and that's the end. I'd kind of then do my reading around it and try to understand what the themes were. That was that's always been my way. I don't know why. And I was really, really big into championship manager for a number of years. That kind of forces you to think mm. about yeah. formations and tactics because you that. have to be good at those to, to to succeed in the game um and i guess like like nathan i found i found punditry and co-commentary insufficient so i was always looking for something more and michael cox zonal marking absolutely provided that i, I loved i loved the uh, particularly the early work of um of Cox, some of his articles just seemed mind blowing because they were so simply written and really comprehensible. But no one else was doing this stuff. Absolutely, no one was doing this stuff. And there was uh, there was a part of me briefly that thought, I mean, I could I could start doing some of this for Spurs, and I did occasionally, like Nathan mentioned, I occasionally would do some some proper tactical analysis analyses in my in my blogs. I, w- I would often do the analysis of the goals conceded, for example, <laughs> because it was quick and easy, and I'm, I'm a bit of a uh, I'm a bit I'm a bit strange in that I, once I get an idea into my head, I like to see it through to completion. But I'm also a complete jack of all trades and master of none. I don't really have, and I would say this is true of me and life in general. There's nothing I'm exceptional at. I'm just kind of okay at a number of things. So when I'm presenting stuff on Twitter, for example, so so I would yes, I'd do some football analysis, but I'd also do some sort of fan fan like passion takes as well and then i'd have my interest in the youth team and then i'd also do some financial bits and pieces so there was never really just single focus like nathan's just developed this intensely devoted um account which just looks at tactics and analytics and detail around around that mostly mine was much more general generalized and and never really focused in on any one thing um so that that's my perspective I mean, maybe I maybe I should have focused more on on the tactical side, and God knows where we'd be now. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm too swayed by other things. I'm too like Nathan. My attention span just isn't there, and I get distracted, and I'll, I want to talk about other stuff as well. 
The the Michael Cox stuff is still knocking around. If you go and just do a Google and look and look for the old articles, I think back in the day he did he did blogs on Team of the Decade, and he would look at all the division, all the kind of major top divisions, and pick a team and just analyze it. Um, so if people, I've seen from some of the emails, some people are really new to football, and I think that would be a good starting place, starting point for people to to kind of find out a little bit more about football history and how things have changed. Yeah, Cox is just fantastic. This, mm-hmm. yeah. He, he genuinely, he genuinely changed the face of football analysis um, in a very positive way and inspired many, many, many people, including myself and Nathan. Uh, final one before we sign off. Uh, ben Jones from Twitter. He says, what are your thoughts on A, the pay-per-view and B, the big six power grab? Now, I think I need to not answer the latter one because I've been a bit busy the past week and I'm... I'm not up to speed with what's going on with this big six power grab thing, but it'd be good to get your thoughts, guys, on on these two issues. The the pay per view is is something which I've it's been it's been on my mind for a while because I spend spend a thousand pounds a year just on on a season ticket plus you add everything else into it and all of a sudden because I want to see all the games and all of a sudden the Spurs games are on the market I can just tip, dip in and buy them and watch them from the comfort of my own home and with everything else that's coming on all of a sudden that's an appealing that's an appealing option but then part of me is like no that's, that's, a, that's a bad thing it's, this is not good for football and I've, I've seen both sides of the argument that if £15 is, is not a lot if you consider it's it's quite cheap compared to going to watch a match and I don't know I, I think I don't think this is a good place to be with, with football I think at some point you'll, you will probably end up with the ability just to buy all Tottenham games for one season and then watch it from the comfort from our home and I'm not sure that's really where I want things to go but then you can see I'm confused just talking about it I don't it, I, it's a bad thing but then I can't really claim it's a bad thing because I like going to the stadium but then I want to be able to watch it so in this kind of world where everything's available I'm not sure something should be available sorry for confusing the matter a little bit more <laughs> I mean I mean, can I shock you, Bardi? Every yeah. Spurs match is available for free currently. Yeah, I'm going to call the police. I'm going to. They're going to. They're going to be knocking at your door, coming through, looking for your hard drive and your um, your streaming stick. Can you leave my hard drive out of this, please? <laughs> Nathan, any thoughts on pay per view? Uh, pay per view, yeah. Um, it's fucked, man. It's absolutely fucked. They um, they cannot stop themselves squeezing every last penny out of fans until football leaves us destitute because they have us hooked and they know we need our fix so they're just going to keep jacking up the price and they won't just you know it's not a there's not one fee and that fee goes up it's well now you need to get sky and now you need to get mm-hmm. bt and now you need to get yeah. premier europa whatever the fuck that europa league coverage thing was called and it's and it's and it's crap by the way and now you need to buy individual games um you know it's disgusting man it makes me sick illegally. Op- yeah but then that's, that's what i mean either the other options are you when we're allowed back in the stadiums you pay hundreds of pounds to go and watch the game or you stream it illegally well and one it's... doesn't justify the other like the fact no. that it's expensive to do one doesn't make the other like a better by deal they're they're both yeah. fucked man they're, they're, it's, yes. and it's it's a collaborative effort in it yes exactly they put us in a in, they, what they do is they they rely on your love for the club to want yep. to watch every game and that's that's how they get you and then you end up like me in a position where do i not love my club if I, my do i not love mm. my club if i don't go to the stadium if i don't buy the pay-per-view if i or the other option is i i get uh, a virus on my computer and have to click something six times for the mm-hmm. game to start running <laughs> small price to pay for uh free access to all your football um so you mentioned ticket prices 
the only thing I know about this big six power, power graph thing really is that they want to fix away ticket prices at £20. So that's clearly some kind of enhancement. Um, do either of you know enough about this to be able to comment on it at this point or should we leave it? Yes, I do. <laughs> the first way I want to begin to address this is you don't need to read the report yourself. You don't need to know the details. You don't need all of the nuance. There will be a lot of conversation about this going around. Oh, have you read the report yourself? Oh, what about this detail? Oh, what about the away price fixes? No, forget all of the details. Here's the big picture. The big six will financially support lower league clubs in return for power in return for a dictation of how the football system is structured in this country um, and every decision going forward, it, which will include, you know, deciding to withdraw that money of oh, we've got the votes, we've got the power on that, right? It's an attempt to purchase power. And even more than pay-per-view, it's even more fucked. It's an absolute disgrace. It's, it's sickening. It's, it's this opportunistic thing of recognising that uh, lower league clubs, but also the football structure as a whole, is in this dire, dire situation and it's attempting to buy football at its cheapest to to manipulate control of the sport in this country by a select number of clubs. And it's not the individual clubs who should have the power, right? It's meant to be this sport where United can have a run of bad seasons and Hartlepool can have a run of good seasons and one side overcomes the other. That is what the league structure is about. And what this is, is a way of fixing it so that United are the eternal force. Liverpool are the eternal force and it's impossible to ever get near them because they have manipulated control over decisions and the sport and the allocation of funds and the allocation of power. And and how are they defining big six here? I don't know. I haven't read the report, mate. <laughs> so it's, it's okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of questions because I don't know a lot about this at all. Um, but I'll probably save it for another podcast, I think. It's really mm. interesting. And it's it's very telling that they've timed this now after the pandemic or during the pandemic yeah. when we know football finances are struggling football clubs are struggling with their finances more than they ever have previously you know we've lost clubs in the last couple of years and that's going to continue to happen and so i guess they can say look we're going to save you we're going yes. to save the football pyramid but there's a cost that's exactly it selling your soul to the devil but anything you would add i stand with nathan on all his points mate boom Sweet. and there we shall leave it You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D. Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cher